The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The Gospel of Luke this morning for our text reading, the Gospel of Luke. How many of you just enjoy uh, the Christmas season? Put up your hand. It's just, it's a special time of year. We were in a restaurant this week and as I was sitting there eating my meal, over the loudspeaker, I begin to hear uh, songs being sung, and they were literally singing about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the secular, humanistic society in which we live, it's kind of a neat thing just to be out in different places and uh, hear about Jesus being sung in just a positive way. And, and then there's everything that goes along with the family memories and the traditions, and uh, it is an incredible incredibly special time and I'm looking forward just to having a season here at Ambassador Baptist Church where we focus in on the real uh, reason for the season, the meaning behind so much of the traditions that we experience. And of course, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke for a couple of weeks as we move through uh, this text. We are starting a mini series of messages that we've simply entitled Saving Christmas. Um, Unfortunately, as our world grows more and more secular, as it grows more and more humanistic, as it grows more and more distant from God and desiring the things of God, in the process, Christmas becomes very commercialized, it becomes very materialistic, it becomes more about the traditions than even the very person of Christmas. And so over the next few weeks, we're just going to look at this idea of saving Christmas and and looking at how do we redeem Christmas from the commercialized, materialistic environment that has kind of hijacked the real meaning of Christmas. And so that's kind of the spirit of this particular series. And what we're going to do is we're really going to dive into the text and ask ourselves this question, is the Christmas story actually true? Or is it just another holiday fairy tale? How many of you, by raise of hands, we'll get interactive for a moment, would say, I believe that the Christmas story is historical fact. You say, I believe it's a historical fact. I think many of us would raise our hands and say yes. However, for many people in the world in which we live, it really is, has no more significance or meaning uh, than, say, Santa Claus, Uh, or Elf on the Shelf, or some other holiday tradition. And yet, as we go to the pages of the Word of God, we find that the Christmas narrative is, is not just another holiday fairy tale. It's not just another Christmas tradition. It, in fact, is actual reality. And that's pretty amazing when you begin to think about the fact that the Bible declares that the Christmas story is about God coming to this earth in the flesh. That's, that's pretty crazy. When you think about the fact that the Bible declares that this Christ would be born of a virgin, uh, that's pretty incredible. When we think about the fact that wise men would travel thousands of miles there to bow at the feet and the uh, place of the Messiah, and we begin to ask ourselves, is the Christmas story actually true, or is it just another holiday fairy tale? And if it is true, is there evidence that we could look to to weigh out its authenticity? Or are we just as Christians kind of supposed to believe in blind faith? Is it just supposed to be something we adhere to because some ancient book talks about it? Or is there very real, logical evidences and proofs that could back up the realities and the claims of the Christmas narrative. That's the spirit of what we're going to unpack over the next few, few weeks in a series that we're simply entitling Saving Christmas. 
Inside your service program, there should be an outline that you can use to follow along through our Bible study here this morning. And I will say, today's going to be much like a Bible study in, in many, many ways. We're going to be flipping to different verses of the Bible. Uh, in some regards, it might even feel like somewhat of a, a college class or a lecture. Uh, when I went to seminary, we took a class that was called uh, Apologetics. And Apologetics was a class that really taught us how to to prove the reality, the authenticity of biblical faith. And so in some regards, this is going to kind of take on the spirit of that type of class where we're going to give you an apologetics approach, an apologetics look at the Christmas narrative and ask ourselves, is the Christmas story actually true? All right. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we go to the Gospel of Luke chapter number 24. The Gospel of Luke chapter number 24. Now, how many of you know what Luke chapter number 2 talks about? How many of you would be familiar with the Christmas story that's talked about in Luke chapter number 2? And the Gospel of Luke gives us the most uh, vivid uh, look, uh, the most robust look at the birth, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so we come to the very end of Luke's gospel, and it's very interesting, a statement that said, so in Luke chapter number one, Luke chapter number two, we're reading all about the incarnation of God, Jesus Christ coming to this earth in human form, and then throughout Luke's gospel, we begin to learn about his life, and we come to the final chapter now of Luke chapter number 24, and Jesus, in his own words, all right, if if you have a Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, you're going to find that the words we read are going to be the very words of Christ, and he is going to explain to us why he did what he did, and this is what the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 24, verse number 44 has to say. Why was the Christmas story shared with us? Why was the Christmas narrative given to us? Why was there so much emphasis put on his birth, so much emphasis put on the virgin birth, so much emphasis put on the magi and the wise men coming, and verse number 44 gives us the answer. Here's what it says. And Jesus said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. Notice this. That all things must be fulfilled. I I want you to focus on this for a moment because Jesus is saying, okay, I spoke these things. I did what I did that the things might be fulfilled. What was fulfilled? Obviously something was promised. Something had been prophesied. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill what was promised. I came to fulfill what was prophesied. Now keep going. He goes on to say, which were written... In the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now this is, this is really fascinating because what Jesus is saying is he's saying the Old Testament canon of scripture, the law of Moses, this would be the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Nahum, all these books in the Old Testament canon of scripture, but not just that, and in the Psalms, those poetic books, and Jesus here is declaring in Luke chapter number 24 that everything that was talked about in the Pentateuch, everything that was talked about in the prophets, everything that was talked about in the poetical books, these promises that were given, these prophecies that were given, and Jesus says this, they were talking about me. Now, I want you to get this. Do you realize that the first portion of your Bible, the Old Testament, was telling us all about Jesus? See, a lot of times we get to the Old Testament, man, I like the stories of the Old Testament and they're epic and they're, I mean, they're the stories that movies are made of, you know, in, in fact, a lot of movies are being made about them right now, to be quite honest. And, and yet Jesus said, hey, all that was about me. 
Notice what it says. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms were written concerning me. I want to speak on the subject this morning of evidence for fulfilled prophecy. Evidence of fulfilled prophecy. I think this will be an enlightening time together as we open up the scriptures. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, though many of us here today, Lord, would raise our hands and say we're believers, I pray that today's message would strengthen our faith. I pray that we'd walk out the back doors more convinced that Christmas truly is all about you. That it's not just blind faith, but that there is actual evidence. That there are proofs that that bolster and support the faith in which we put our trust in. Lord, I pray that through this series, Lord, we would uh, renew our commitment to the Christian narrative and the Christmas narrative, that Christmas would be more than just about the commercial, commercialization and the materialism and the traditions. And, and Lord, I pray that it first and foremost would be all about you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. Now, to lay a foundation for our study here this morning, I think it's very important for us to understand that the Old Testament canon of Scripture, okay, the Old Testament canon starting in the book of Genesis, going all the way to the book of Malachi, we would refer to this as the Old Testament canon of Scriptures. It was written over a time span of 1,500 years. This is very important for each and every one of us to understand that over 1,500 years, the Old Testament canon of scriptures was written. In fact, uh, it was completed about 430 years before the time of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, you think 430 years. America's not even been around close to 430 years. So the Old Testament canon of scriptures had completed its writings 430 years years before Jesus was born. You say, why is that significant? Why is it significant that we know that the Old Testament canon of scripture was finished in its writing 400 years before? Here's why it's so important. It's important because many of the things that the Old Testament canon of scripture speaks of are going to be promises about a coming anointed one, a coming Messiah, and some skeptics might say, well, It was actually written after Jesus was born. And I've literally heard people say that. Yes, Jesus was real, but the Old Testament, it got finished being written after Jesus was born. So yes, there there are prophecies so-called, and yes, there are promises so-called, but these guys just wrote all this stuff after Jesus came alive. And that way, oh, he did this and he did this. And they, they made this all about Jesus. And yet it's very important to understand, even from a historical perspective, that the Old Testament canon of scripture was completely finished 400 years before Jesus was ever born, all right? And you say, well, how do we know that to be true? Well, even secular historians know that the Septuagint, all right? For those of you, I'm giving you a little history lesson. The Septuagint was the Old Testament canon of Scripture translated into Greek. Now, we're going to have to put our thinking caps on for a moment. But in order for there to be a translation into another language, you have to have a what? <laughs> you, you have to have a, an original, all right? You can't, tra- if I wanted to translate green eggs and ham into Spanish, there would have to be a green eggs and ham in English, all right? And, and that's the idea. And so historians have found the Septuagint. Uh, in fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, confirm this reality that the Septuagint, even hundreds of years, a translation of the Old Testament, hundreds of years before the time of Jesus even being born, did in fact exist. So with that foundation being laid, we understand that the Old Testament was finished hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. Now, here is what's interesting. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament canon of Scripture that refer to this anointed one or what the Hebrew word is, and that is Messiah. So in the Hebrew, the word anointed one is 
pronunciated Messiah. Uh, In the Greek, if you were to take the phrase anointed one in Greek, you would pronounce it Christ. So Messiah and Christ are synonymous terms. Messiah speaking of the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word for anointed one. Christ is the Greek word for anointed one. And so when people in the New Testament would say, Jesus the Christ... They were literally saying, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the one who has been prophesied about. Over 300 of these prophecies exist in the Old Testament manuscripts of scripture. So what I did is I took a few of them and I paraphrased them. All right, I squished them all together. They're all throughout the the law, the prophets, and uh, the Psalms. And I took a few of them from the Old Testament. And I'm going to read them for you. Okay, I want you to hear this. Because what I'm about to quote does not come from the New Testament. Everything I'm about to say comes completely from the Old Testament canon of scriptures that was completely finished at the least 230 years before Jesus was born and according to scripture, over 400 years. So let me read. This is from the Old Testament. The, the Messiah, these are, these are excerpts, these are prophecies taken out of the Old Testament, put together into one narrative. The Messiah will pre-exist time, according to the Old Testament. He is the eternal redeemer that will come to earth to reconcile mankind with God. Although Satan will try to attack him, Genesis chapter number 3 and verse 15, the Messiah will have ultimate victory. One day he will rule over everything and all nations will bow down to him. Micah 5.2, he will be born in the city of Bethlehem when a bright star appears. It will be a miraculous virgin birth. The Messiah will perform many miracles, calming the seas, causing the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. He will be referred to in many ways, including wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, according to the prophet Isaiah. He will be a prophet like unto Moses and a great teacher that will use parables. The Messiah will become man's sin offering and present himself to Jerusalem as both the anointed king and the Passover lamb. The Messiah will present himself to a rejoicing Jerusalem riding on a donkey, but then he will suffer greatly. Many will reject him, including his friends. He will be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, and at his trial, he will not defend himself. He will say nothing to his accusers. This Messiah will have his hands and feet pierced. His enemies will encircle him, mock him, and will cast lots for his clothes. He will be given gall and vinegar to drink. He will die with thieves. But unlike the thieves, none of his bones will be broken. His heart will fail, as indicated by blood and water spilling out when he will be pierced with a spear. He will be buried in a rich man's grave and in three days he will rise from the dead. Now who does that sound like to you? (laughs) Understand that everything that I just read was written hundreds, at the minimum 400 to 1500 years before Jesus Christ ever came on the scene. Is there doubt that Jesus Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah? Here's our theme for this morning. Christmas at its essence is the celebration that marks the day 
that the highly anticipated Messiah arrived. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas celebrates the reality that the Messiah that had been promised, the Messiah that had been prophesied about, actually came in God, incarnate, walking among humanity. You see here, the Messiah would deliver humanity from their sins. All throughout the Old Testament, prophecies and promises provide information and insight into who exactly this Messiah would be. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah would sometimes be referred to as Shiloh, meaning peace. Sometimes he would be referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. Messiah would be referred to as the coming king of Israel. There were many terms that the prophets and the patriarchs would use to prophesy about this one anointed Messiah that would one come. But the question we're grappling with ourselves today is simply this. Who was the Messiah that the Old Testament speaks of? Who was it? Who was this Messiah? If it was Jesus, is there evidence that it was Jesus? And could it not be someone else? In fact, the Jews today believe that the Messiah has not yet come. And the Jewish faith is still looking for this anointed one. They believe the Old Testament canon of scripture, but they do not believe that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of these prophecies and these promises. So, Could it be someone other than Jesus from the prophecies we just read? That is what we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks as we study this study here, Simply Saving uh, Christmas. The word prophecy simply means this. A prediction of the future made under divine inspiration. A prediction of the future made under divine inspiration. This morning, I want to share with you several of these Old Testament prophecies, promises that were given hundreds and some even thousand years plus before the time of Christ, that were fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ that I believe gives overwhelming evidence to the reality that Jesus Christ is indeed the promised Messiah prophesied about in the Old Testament. So if you're following along with me, where we can take notes there, I want you to see first of all, the Messiah, whoever this Messiah would be, would be born in a city called Bethlehem. Here's what the prophet Micah said 735 years before Jesus was ever born. Now think about this. 700 years is a long time. All right? I mean, 700 years ago. I mean, 700 years ago, America hadn't even been discovered yet. So this is way before, I mean, just trying to give you perspective here, 700 years before Jesus was ever born, here's what the prophet Micah promised. He said, thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, get this, out of thee shall he come forth. This is talking about the anointed one, this Messiah. He'll come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from an old, from everlasting. And so here the prophet Micah says, this anointed one, this Messiah, he's going to come forth out of Bethlehem. What I love about this specific prophecy is the fact that there in Israel, there was actually two Bethlehem. Not just one. And guess what Micah does? He literally tells us which Bethlehem the Messiah would be born in. Bethlehem Ephratah. Literally saying, if we were to use common vernacular, the Bethlehem closer to Jerusalem. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah said, yes, your anointed one, the coming Messiah, our redeemer, our king is gonna be born. He's gonna come out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. 
Now, whoever this Messiah would be then would have to be born in Bethlehem. Just for the sake of having some fun, were any of you born in Bethlehem? Raise your hand. Okay. So we can conclude merely by logic that the Messiah doesn't exist in this room. Any of you ever had somebody you met and they thought they were the Messiah, the center of the universe? The reality is simply this. In whoever the Messiah would be, according to the Old Testament prophecies, would have to be born in Bethlehem. So turn over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 2. Notice what the Bible says. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 2. Now when Jesus was born, notice this, in Bethlehem of Judea, or we might say, Bethlehem Ephratah, In the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So, the prophets promised, they prophesied that whoever the anointed one would be would have to be born in Bethlehem. Fast forward 700 plus years and we find out that Jesus was born where? He was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling now one of the 300 prophecies that were given about this coming anointed one. Now, what makes this interesting is that this one single prophecy eliminates every human being born in any other city than Bethlehem to be the Messiah. I've watched on 2020 or I've seen there on Nightline every once in a while where somebody will stand up and they will claim to be the Messiah. Have you ever seen one of these shows and somebody stands up and they're claiming, I'm the Messiah, you know? And <clears throat> very easily we could ask them, where were you born? And if it was any place other than Bethlehem, we can dogmatically declare, based on the authority of the word of God, that they are not the Messiah. One simple prophecy would put their entire quote-unquote ministry, boom, to rest. What's interesting about Bethlehem, it was a very small city. It It means, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. It was a small city. It would be, it'd be like saying, out of thee, fireball, shall come a Messiah. <laughs> Not very impressive. Sorry for those of you who are from Firepod. <laughs> no disrespect. But that's kind of like what's going on. Here's what's amazing about it. Mary and Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem. In fact, the week before Jesus was born, they were in a city called Nazareth. How did they end up in Bethlehem? 80 miles away, they live in Nazareth. Bethlehem's 80 miles from there. 700 years earlier, the prophet Micah said that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, Bethlehem of and And all of a sudden, God used a pagan king. He used taxes to accomplish his sovereign divine plan. All that to say, God can use crazy stuff, crazy politicians, to accomplish his will. We won't dive much deeper into that, but I thought I'd throw it out there for whatever it's worth. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Number two. The Messiah would have to be a descendant of King David. A proven descendant of King David. This prophecy is found in the book of Jeremiah. It is a prophecy given to us by the prophet Jeremiah around 600 BC. So 600 years before the time of Jesus Christ, Jeremiah comes on the seed and this is what he says. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Okay? He's speaking somewhat metaphorically here. We might use use the word family tree. How many of you have ever gotten on Ancestry.com to look at your family tree? It's kind of a fascinating thing. See where you came from, your lineage. And so the prophet Jeremiah, he's saying, out of David, out of this king is going to come 
a branch in the family tree of the Messiah is going to be rooted in King David. And a king shall reign and uh, prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be, notice this, saved. This is why the Messiah was sent. He was sent to save God's people. And Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteous. This is why Jesus was often referred to as Jesus the Lord or Lord Jesus. It goes back to these prophecies. And so when the Jewish people would run up to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, they were literally emphasizing their faith, their belief in the fact that they saw that this Jesus was the Messiah. And and verbally, they were articulating this. So whoever the Messiah would one day be, not only would he have to be born in Bethlehem, but he would have to be a descendant of King David. Not only a descendant, but a proven descendant of King David. How many of you have ever read these lineages in the Bible? You know, you get to these chapters and it's so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. Let's just be honest. Have you ever read those and thought, God, why did you put those there? Like, I don't feel edified by this. How many of you would be honest? You've skipped them before. All right, I, I'm raising my hand. There have been times. Just move right over them. Can I tell you why God put those in the Bible? Because they give us timelines, but they also give us relational connectivity. This is why the Gospels start out with these lineages. Because from the very early aspects of the Gospel, they are trying to show to the readers that this Christ This Jesus had a direct connection relationally with King David. That's why it's there. That's one of the reasons God allows it to be in his inspired word. Is because the prophet stood up and said that this Jesus, whoever this Messiah would be, would have to be a descendant of King David. And so the authors thought that's pretty important to keep in there, you know. And so we have the lineages there because we want to know the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. So the prophet Jeremiah gave this prophecy 600 BC. Whoever this Messiah would be would have to one, be born in Bethlehem. Two, whoever this Messiah would be would have to be a descendant of King David. When the angel Gabriel was communicating to Mary about Jesus and she was telling her that Jesus would be born unto her in Luke chapter number one, verse 32. Here's what the angel Gabriel said to Mary, Luke 1, 32. He shall be great, speaking of Mary's son, and shall be called the son of the highest, notice this, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. You see, Jesus Christ was a direct descendant of King David, a prophecy that had been made 700 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. This is one of the reasons they could refer to him as the king. Not only was he the king by spiritual affirmation, he was also the king by mere just lineage affirmation. He literally was the son of David. Through Mary. Let's keep moving on. Uh, Some people might say, well, you know, this whole thing was rigged. I've heard people say this about Jesus. That Jesus went around just doing all the things that the Messiah was supposed to do based on Old Testament prophecy. Well, you know, the reason he did that is because he, needed to, he wanted everybody to think he was the Messiah. And so he had to, he had to make it look like he was the Messiah because he wanted everybody to think he was the Messiah. So he figured out what all the prophecies were and then he, he did them. I guess to some degree that sounds like it might be a good idea until you figure out how, did, how in the world did he pick his grandparents? That, that would be a tough one. That, that, would, be, that would be tricky. <laughs> and yet that's here, Jesus, a descendant of King David. Many are still looking for the Messiah today. There's the entire 
Jewish faith that are still looking for the Messiah. The, The problem is it would be impossible in the year, you know, 2014 to trace the lineage of David today. We don't have those records to be able to do this. And so the Messiah's probably already came based on just two of these prophecies. Number three, the Messiah would do miracles including making the blind see and the deaf hear. Okay, this comes from the prophet Isaiah some 700 years, 740 years before Jesus was born. Here's what the prophet Isaiah declared in Isaiah chapter number 34. Be strong, fear not. Notice this. Behold, your God will come. Isaiah says he's coming. Your God is going to come. He goes on to say, he will come and save you. So, so here's the question. Uh, the people of Israel are standing around. They're, they're listening to the prophet uh, Isaiah make this prophecy, make this promise. And you can almost imagine in their minds, they're thinking to themselves, well, how will we know when our God has come? How will we know when the Messiah has come? How will we know when this anointed one has arrived? And so here we see Isaiah answer that question for them. He says, when your God comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing forth. This was 700 years before. Have you ever asked yourself, why did Jesus do the miracles? Because he didn't heal everyone, did he? He didn't. So why did he heal anybody at all? Why were there some that were healed? Jesus Christ was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. This is why healings took place. It was a way in which Jesus proved, it was the way Jesus gave evidence to the fact that he was this anointed one. He was this Messiah. He was the Shiloh. He was this King of Israel. So, 740 years here before the time of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that whoever this Messiah would be, whoever this anointed one would be, he'd have to do miracles. And the miracles were very specific. Blind would have to see. Deaf would have to hear. People who could not walk would jump up and they would leap. And so the prophet Isaiah was saying, this is one of the ways, Jewish people, Israelites, that you will know that your Messiah has come. So whoever the Messiah would be would have to have been historically recorded as having accomplished miracles. Who do you know that has been historically recorded as having accomplished miracles? Luke chapter number seven, verse 22 says this. Now understand, Luke, the gospel of Luke was not written by Jesus. This is just kind of a history lesson. It's not like Jesus wrote his own gospels, which is, here's, here's what's very interesting. Jesus, Jesus physically didn't pen any of the Bible, physically, personally. Unlike many of the other so-called prophets of other religions, Jesus had no personal, physical penning of his own ancient writings. These were all written by others. And so this particular writing was given to us by an historian, a doctor, a physician by the name of Luke. He would go on to pen other parts of the Bible as well. He was kind of one of the historians of the word of God. And here's what Dr. Luke has to say about Jesus. Then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard how that the blind see, the lame walk, the leopards cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to the poor. The gospel is preached. Literally, Jesus in his own words, as recorded by Dr. Luke, is saying, he's literally giving us insight into this prophecy from Isaiah chapter number 35. He says, I want you to go tell John. I know he's in prison, but I need you to go tell him something. And literally, Jesus kind of paraphrases Isaiah chapter number 
number 35. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to encourage John the baptizer, John the Baptist, and help him to understand that, listen, the one that he was preaching about, this coming Messiah, was actually here. When John heard those words that would be echoed to him, he would have confidence in his heart, knowing that this one who came was indeed the promised Messiah, this anointed one. Next, the Messiah would be a prophet like Moses. Moses, and get this, 1,400 years before Jesus was born, declared this. He writes in Deuteronomy. You say, well, how do we know that this is speaking about Jesus? Because Jesus said so in Luke chapter number 24. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, we talked about Jesus said everything that was written in the law concerning me. So there are things in the law, in the Pentateuch, about Jesus, about the Messiah. Notice what it says here in Deuteronomy. The Lord said unto me, Moses, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, And like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. He says, I'm gonna gonna raise up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. Notice that phrase, like unto thee. So God speaks there to Moses and says, this anointed one, this Shiloh, he's gonna be like you. He's gonna be a prophet like you. Whoever this Messiah would be would have to have a reputation of a prophet like that of Moses. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, did Jesus have a reputation like that of Moses? Here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter number three, verse 22. The apostles stand up and here's what they say. For Moses truly said unto the fathers. This is the apostles standing up in front of the Jewish people. And and they're reminding him. Remember how Moses said unto the fathers. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whosoever he shall say unto you. And so here in Acts chapter number three, the apostles stand up and say, remember, there was gonna be one sent who is like Moses. And the apostles stand up and say, that was him. People called him, people thought he was Moses. They, they looked at him with that same reputation. And so the Christ, Jesus, had a reputation like that of Moses. We'll end it with this one this morning. And this is probably the most complex. You'll really have to think through this. But whoever this Messiah would be, get this, the governing authority over Israel could not pass from the tribe of Judah until the Messiah came. I'm gonna think through this one for a moment. Governing authority over Israel shall not pass from the tribe of Judah until the Messiah comes. The prophecy is given to us by the patriarch Jacob nearly 1,900 years before Jesus was born. Now think about this. Think about what was going on 1,900 years ago from, from past. I mean, I'm just trying to give you some perspective as far as the timeline here. Here's what the patriarch Jacob says. The scepter, okay, it's symbolic for that rulership, that authority, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So whoever this Messiah would be would have to become the Messiah before the Sanhedrin lost its right to rule its own people And according here to Josephus in the works of antiquities, this happened about 11 AD. In 11 AD is when the Sanhedrin lost their right to judge their people and they were not allowed to pass the death penalty on anybody. And so according to the secular historian Josephus, Israel lost its ruling power in 11 AD. So whoever the Messiah would be would have to come on the scene before 11 AD. Okay. So 
whoever this Messiah would be, would have to become the Messiah before the Sanhedrin lost its right to rule, its authority. That happened around 11 AD. What does Luke chapter two verse tell us? Luke chapter two, how how many of you know what Luke chapter two is talking about? It's talking about when Jesus was born, the incarnation of God. Notice what it says. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now you say, why, why do you bring us to this particular text? Caesar Augustus is not just some biblical character we find in the Bible. How many of you realize you can just, history will tell us about Caesar Augustus. We don't need the Bible to tell us about Caesar Augustus. We can go to secular sources outside the word of God and we can learn about Caesar Augustus. He's a historical figure. We know he exists. We know he ruled. You can look it up. He ruled between 27 BC and 14 AD, all right? So he ruled there uh, for that time frame according to secular history. This is not something that, you know, the Bible tells us. It's just science. This is history, all right? Just real basic. So we can conclude from that that according to Dr. Luke's account of Luke chapter number two, that Jesus was born sometime during the reign of Caesar Augustus. That makes sense, doesn't it, logically? He would have to be born during the reign of Caesar Augustus. We know when Caesar Augustus reigned. We know this historically. And the prophet, or the patriarch Jacob said that this Messiah, this Shiloh, this anointed one would come before Israel lost its right to rule, which eventually happened in 11 AD. Well, that works all right, doesn't it? According to Caesar Augustus, that took place before that time. One apologist said it this way, the important prophecy has been strikingly fulfilled. Although, this is fascinating, think about this, because when Jacob gave this prophecy, Judah was not in charge. Judah was not Jacob's firstborn son, nor the son who would produce the priestly tribe. He was the son of through whom God would fulfill his promise to Israel and to the world. Now, get this. The leadership, according to Jacob, was to go to Judah, but this did not happen for 600 years. Think of those of you who've studied Old Testament history. Moses came from Levi, so wait a second. That, that, Moses wasn't from Judah. Joshua came from Ephraim. That's not Judah. Gideon came from Manasseh. Gideon was one of the judges. Samson came from Dan. Samuel came from Ephraim. Saul came from Benjamin. So when Judah, when we see here Jacob giving this prophecy, he said, hey, the, the, the authority's not gonna pass from Judah until the Messiah comes, but you gotta understand that the authority didn't belong to Judah when he made that prophecy. In fact, the authority wouldn't belong to Judah for another 600 years when a little shepherd boy came on the scene. His name was David. He was anointed. And in that moment, Judah became the authority, the ruling body. And according to the patriarch Jacob, that would not diminish until this Messiah came on the scene. Judah held the scepter and did not relinquish it until after Shiloh came. Shiloh is a name for Messiah, probably related to the Hebrew word peace or shalom, and meaning in effect, the one who brings peace. Jesus Christ was certainly born before 11 AD. Now, we've taken too much time to talk about simply five of nearly 300 prophecies given about the coming anointed one. We could literally spend an entire year going from prophecy to prophecy to prophecy, looking at who this coming Messiah would be. Dr. Charles Ryrie said this, and they might have this on the screens. According to the laws of chance, this is a doctor, it would require Two billion earths. Now, I want you to, th- I just need you to get the scope of this. Don't just read past it, because I need you to. Two billion earths populated with six billion people each 
to come up with one person whose life, by chance, could fulfill 100 accurate prophecies without any errors in sequence. Yet the scriptures record not 100, but over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ's first coming alone. So, as we end this morning, why do we share this? I hope that this Christmas season, in the midst of all the tradition and the commercialism, the commerce, that we would be reminded afresh and anew what the reason for the season truly is. That Christmas marks an historic event of epic proportions when the anointed one, the Messiah, came. That's what Christmas is all about. Here's what Jesus had to say in John chapter number 20, verse 31. Why was all this written? Jesus says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Jesus didn't do all this just so we could sit in church 2,000 years later and go, wow, that's interesting. You see, why, he, why do you do this? That we might believe that Jesus Christ, that word Christ, remember we learned in the earlier parts of the sermon, Christ is the Greek alliteration, transliteration for anointed one, Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the prophesied one, that Jesus was the one promised by the Son of God, and that believing he might have life. You see, that's what Christmas is all about. It's not simply about mistletoe. It's not simply about wreaths. It's not simply about Christmas trees and ornaments and cookies and all the things that go along with Christmas. Christmas is about a Messiah. It's about in believing in him, you have life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Do you believe? That's a question. We don't have merely a blind faith. My friend, if you have somebody at your workplace or a relative that says, ah, you just, you just believe this stuff blindly. While it is faith, it is not blind faith. And we're gonna take several weeks looking at the veracity, the authenticity, the genuine nature of the claims of this book, looking at it from a logical perspective, a historical perspective, looking at it from a scientific perspective to save Christmas from the commercialism, to save it and to really renew it and see it put back in its proper place of being a celebration of a coming king. He came that believing ye might have life through his name. That's why he came. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father.